Big Spoon, Little Spoon by Charles Borchard Graham often wondered what his life would be like if he had any serious ambition. He already had enough material things to know more money or attention wasn't worth the effort it took to attain more of it. He held the lion's share of one of the liveliest bars in town and best of all, he was six foot seven. Graham wasn't so much proud or vain about his height as he was sure in it. What small annoyances there were for men of his size, there were many more perks. For one, women wanted him. It was funny, really. Where most men had to try and stand out in the eyes of the women who frequented the bar, all Graham had to do was be there. It didn't matter if they were girls from around town or the daughters of multi-millionaires. They were drawn to him like mice, seeking out a particularly potent cheese. At 30 years of age, Graham was tired of being the big cheese. He wanted a woman with personality, since he had slept with enough women to know that once they were hot beneath the sheets, there wasn't much difference anyway. Graham had dated and slept with rich girls who held themselves with self-assured elegance. Those women, to put it bluntly, were dull as shit. Even the ones who desperately tried to pretend they weren't. At the end of the day, women were women, but Graham simply didn't click with those types. But then he didn't click with the women around town either. They talked big and thought small. They were normal women, meant for normal men. He'd tried long-term relationships with girls who grew up in his town, and through no fault of his or theirs, the flame in the relationship never stayed hot. They'd realise he was just a guy, albeit a tall one, and he would start to loathe how simple they were, since, as unique as every woman thought she was, you could write all there was worth knowing about them on the back of a cereal box. And then Rachel entered the bar. For Graham, she stuck out among the other women like a salmon swimming upstream. Did that make him the beer? He couldn't put his finger on what it was he immediately liked about her. She dressed well. Her look was too elegant for a town girl, but she also didn't have the typical copy-and-paste elegance of those spoilt rich girls. There was something to her look. No, something in her eyes that was unsure, as if she were expecting to be asked to leave the bar because she didn't fit in. How a woman who looked like she did could seem so pathetically unsure of herself created a fascination like fireworks in Graham's mind. For Graham, however, it was interest, not love, at first sight. He took her order, a vodka and coke. Graham didn't learn her name until the morning after that night. The sex had been great. They made small talk in bed. She seemed more sure of herself post-sex. Most women were the opposite. She told Graham one long story that was more interesting than most he'd heard women tell. Rachel had modelled in Japan and Germany, acted in commercials and some bit parts, and even had a handful of minor speaking roles in some big-name movies. She had a look about her for sure. With the right costume and makeup, she could be an Irish lass, an elf maiden, an Egyptian queen, or a run of the mill prostitute. I'm waiting for my big break, Rachel said. She blew cigarette smoke with practiced coolness from the left corner of her mouth. When Graham thought she was done talking about her past, she went on to detail a stint of three years where she had been pushed by a big name record label. I can sing she said. 
and she sang what to Graham's layman ears was a perfect note. She smiled at how impressed he looked. It didn't take, Rachel said. My records didn't sell. They were mostly covers anyway. There was more. She pursued ballet in her teens. She had the legs for it. In school, she divided her time between swimming competitions and theatre productions. The best she ever won was a Broadens medal, and she never got the lead role in a production. Graham noticed a theme. That look in her eyes started to make sense. Graham took Rachel to a cafe two blocks away. They continued to talk as they ate there, and then Rachel kissed him on the cheek and left in a hurry. And that was the last Graham saw of Rachel for a while. That same morning, Graham felt a little off. It was like remembering a face but forgetting the name it belonged to, and the feeling wouldn't go away. What was worse, Graham knew that whatever was wrong, or at the very least was different, it was with him. Throughout work the following week, he felt like someone had put a kick-me sign on his back. He checked himself in the mirror enough times to be certain something was different. But what? It took Graham a month to realise what it was. He was three inches shorter. To be sure, he used a measuring tape. Six foot four inches without shoes on. Graham expected to get a little shorter with age, but not this much, and not until his hair greyed at least. He arranged a doctor's appointment. As far as his doctor could tell, there was nothing wrong with him. His doctor even asked Graham if he had only thought he was six foot seven. Graham told him it wasn't something he'd forget, since he was asked how tall he was several times a week ever since he had his first puberty growth spurts. Now there was a subtle loose fit in his shoes, and there was an extra give in his jeans, and there was the ever-present concern he could lose even more height. Graham thought he could happily live as a six-foot-four man, but less than that would feel strange to him, like some surreal nightmare where he had the arms and legs of a child. His staff at the bar didn't seem to notice his height loss, though one of the waitresses complimented him on his apparent weight loss. Graham was naturally broad and strong, like a bear, but now he was that little bit trimmer all over. He bedded a random pretty town girl just to assure himself that a few lost inches of height wasn't going to kill his sex game. But a fortnight later, he had lost another two inches of height. This time, the doctor took his concern seriously, since there was an undeniable difference in Graham's height that couldn't be explained away as mere rationality. Graham was put through a gamut of tests. As extensive and invasive as these tests were, his doctor came up short as to what the cause could be. More tests and more specialist doctors from a wide array of medical practices were contacted and shown the data gathered from all the tests already performed. There would be more tests in another fortnight. Another week went by and Graham lost another inch of height. His staff were amazed. Now he was six foot one. Still a good height, but far from the towering bear of a man he had been. Talk circulated. Every day at work, staff and patrons alike asked what was causing his height loss. Some patrons even stopped coming to the bar on the chance the height loss was infectious. A day before Graham's next doctor's appointment, Rachel returned to the bar. She ordered a vodka and lime this time. Graham took her back to his place.
Sex came first, small talk after. The sex was different this time. Rachel was six foot tall, or thereabouts. Graham asked what she thought of his height loss whilst they exchanged the same cigarette in bed. Rachel didn't commit to an answer. Instead, she smiled, and they had sex again. She left shortly after. Graham suspected that was the last time he would see her, until he found an empty cigarette box in his shoe with Rachel's phone number written on the inside. He held off texting her until after the day of tests from the medical professionals. These tests were even more invasive and uncomfortable. On his way out of the hospital, a pretty journalist approached him. Is it true you're the shrinking man? she asked. Yes, Graham said. And the journalist asked another question. And how do you feel? Shorter, Graham said. Then he excused himself with tactful roughness. Another week passed and Graham lost another inch of height. Now he was six foot tall. He went shopping for new clothes. Shirts, jeans, shoes, even underwear. He became less hands-on at work, working weekday nights and staying home Friday to Sunday. Graham received back the results from all those invasive tests. Many theories were offered, but zero worthwhile conclusions. He started receiving calls from tabloid and dot-com journalists. He let them all go to voicemail and he kept the increasing number of emails unopened. Graham texted Rachel, asking her out on a date. He'd put off doing so. Nervously texting a woman was as alien to him as his new height. Rachel texted him back within the hour. They arranged for a Friday night date to the movies. They met outside the bar. On approach, Graham saw they were now the same height. But then he realised he was mistaken. Rachel was now an inch taller than him. Graham looked at Rachel's shoes. She was wearing flats. They walked together, his hand on the small of her back, feeling the exposed skin above her tight, skinny jeans. Is this not weird for you? Graham said. Obviously, Rachel said. You know, I might even get smaller, Graham said. I've dated short men before, Rachel said. I'm not short, Graham said tensely. I meant shorter than me, Rachel said. Graham felt a surge of boiling frustration unlike anything he had felt before. He was angry, but where could he direct that anger? Whose fault was it that he was this size? His own? Some higher power? In the queue in the cinema lobby to buy their food and tickets, Graham watched the faces of those around him like a hawk. People noticed he was an inch shorter than Rachel. Just one inch difference in height was all it took to be worth the corner-of-the-eye looks they were giving. Graham saw the question in their eyes, and then the unease as they realised he had caught them passively comparing his height to Rachel's. But Graham also had to admit, once he had their tickets and he and Rachel were filing to their seats, that perhaps nobody cared that she was an inch taller. Maybe they were wondering why some guy was making eye contact with everyone in the queue with unusual intensity. The movie was some lame science fiction piece with two guys talking about conspiracies for an hour and a half. After the movie, Graham and Rachel walked back the way they came. Rachel kissed him gently on the lips, wished him goodnight and left. 
It was the first date of Graham's life that hadn't ended with sex. It fucking sucked. Rachel kept in touch but was too busy with acting work and auditions over the two weeks that followed. The shrinking escalated. In those two weeks, Graham shrank down to five foot eight. Now he felt like a child. He stopped going to work except for Mondays and Tuesdays when things were slowest. On Tuesday night, whilst tending the bar, Graham noticed a pudgy, balding, five-foot-five man in his mid-thirties sat at the end of the bar. Save for the couple playing pool, Graham and this man were the only ones in the bar. Having a good night? Graham said. He asked because the little man had been staring at him. Sucks, don't it? The little man said. Graham immediately knew what he meant. Better get used to it, the little man said. He finished his beer and asked for another. Graham gave him one on the house. I didn't get your name, Graham said. Toby, said the little man. How are you finding life at a smaller size? Toby asked. It's harder reaching the top shelf, Graham said. But all those women act like they don't know you, right? Said Toby. You'd think I was a leper, Graham said. All those women... Even the easy old faithfuls had stopped offering themselves to Graham. He was no longer the big cheese. You'll find short men are the most marginalised of all people in this wide world. We're the only group that everyone sees as morally okay to fuck with. Women on dating sites tell me to kill myself. Bigger guys think it's funny to push me aside. I can't go to a fucking concert without getting pushed to the ground. Any bright sides to being short? Graham asked. Toby thought about it, then said, I can't think of a single fucking thing. Any advice? Graham asked. People ain't just going to treat you differently, Toby said. They're going to treat you like you're a child. Like you work for them. You're going to see sides of people that'll make you see just how cruel so-called nice people can be. Graham let the warning sink in. He experienced this a little already. His staff were less cooperative than before. He felt on the back foot in every conversation. More than once, the top of his head was held like a quiz show button whilst two of his waitresses made small talk. He was quick to anger, but he quickly found his rage was a source of great amusement to everyone in the bar, particularly the women. He stopped texting Rachel. That relationship was dead in the water. What use was there in lying to himself that it wasn't? The press started coming to the bar. Though it pained him to do so, Graham stopped going to work altogether. He handed over the managerial responsibilities to a trusted member of staff. The journalists and press, realising he wasn't showing up at the bar for work, took to cornering him outside his apartment building. At five foot six, Graham didn't feel anything close to the assuredness he'd known most of his adult life. He glared at the paparazzi in the elevator, refusing to answer a single question. A half-dozen paparazzi exited the elevator with him on his floor. Graham! Graham! Talk to us, Graham! Graham stopped in his tracks. The press stopped too. Rachel was stood, leaning against Graham's apartment door. This drove the paparazzi into a greater frenzy. Who is this woman? Is she your lover? Miss! Miss! What's your name? Up yours, Rachel said, before following Graham into his apartment. She found Graham in the midst of kicking a large dent into the back of his couch. Is this a bad time? Rachel asked. Graham played the radio on high to drown out their conversation. 
because the paparazzi could still be heard shuffling about just behind the front door. Why are you here? Graham said. To see you, Rachel said. Why? Graham said. Because you stopped replying to my texts. I want to know if it was something I did, said Rachel. You can't seriously still be interested in me, said Graham. I'm five foot fucking six. I don't care, Rachel said. You should, Graham said. No woman in her right mind would date a man shorter than her. Rachel looked both exasperated and amused as she stepped slowly, sultrily, closer. Maybe I'm not in my right mind, Rachel said, and she bent down and kissed him. The sex that followed was the best Graham ever had. If he didn't know any better, he'd think Rachel liked him even more at this size. Was that possible? It didn't seem so. But the sex was that good to really make him doubt all his height prejudices. Rachel lay with her naked chest against his back as they both lay in bed. Have you thought about what you'll do if you keep shrinking? Rachel asked. Kill myself, Graham said sardonically. Be serious, Rachel said. Graham thought about it for a moment. I guess I'll just stay in this apartment until I vanish. You're not going to vanish, Rachel said. You're an expert on shrinking then, Graham said. No, I'm just optimistic, Rachel said. They lay in silence for a time. Graham could feel her hand rising up his thigh. Maybe you should talk to the press. They're not going to leave you alone. You might as well get the word out about this thing. Who knows? Maybe there's someone in the world who has a cure. Graham doubted it. But she was right. It was worth a shot, wasn't it? The following morning, Graham arranged meetings with various press, making sure each agreed to a fee of several bucks for the privilege of his time. To his surprise, they agreed to his fee and terms outright. Rachel went with him from one radio station to the next, and from one studio to the next, and stood out of shot for the street interviews. The buzz around his condition exploded. Graham went from a local urban legend to a global celebrity overnight. The biggest talk shows and publishers and movie studios wanted to meet with him. Graham let himself enjoy the madness of it. The money poured in. Rachel went everywhere with him, but made sure to stay out of the limelight. In the weeks that followed, Graham continued to shrink, much to the fascination of the world. Yet still no cure was found. And if one already existed, nobody had yet come forward with one that was in any way credible. There were men and women with miracle cures trying to get famous, but the medical professionals made sure to gatekeep these types. Week by week, the press maintained a continual buzz. It seemed, as long as Graham continued to shrink, the enthusiasm from the press and the world at large wasn't waning. Graham bought clothes that fit and gave up ownership of his bar, since money would never be an issue ever again, so long as he was sensible with it. Graham moved out of his apartment, trading it in for one lavish hotel suite after another, covered as expenses by the media companies. When Graham was a mere four foot eleven, Rachel, by comparison, was head and shoulders taller than him. Without either of them needing to discuss the specifics, Rachel became his assistant of sorts. She had a talent for dealing with the showbiz types, since that was a world she knew quite well already, and she was useful to have around when they were alone. Little things like grabbing things from supermarket shelves became the norm for her to do. 
She didn't seem to mind, even though Graham hated that he didn't even need to ask for her to do these types of things anymore. It was beyond emasculating. Graham had come to understand the plight of small men far too well. There was nobody to hit, nobody to push around, and there was nobody to feel sorry for him or to help ease his frustrations. There were only people to laugh and smirk, eagerly waiting to see if the little guy would explode in a fit of rage for their entertainment. If it weren't for Rachel and the Olympic bouts of sex they engaged in, Graham might have fallen into a deep depression. The sex was downright strange. Men simply weren't built to be the little spoon. What are we doing? Rachel said over breakfast. Graham knew she wasn't looking for a literal answer. Do you want me here? She said. Yes, said Graham without hesitation. Then let's make it official, Rachel said. Like, engaged, Graham said. No, Rachel said. I mean, maybe one day. I mean, people think I'm your assistant. You are, Graham said. He clarified when he saw the twinge in Rachel's cheek. But you're also my girlfriend. Then let's go public with us, Rachel said. Graham felt an odd tension in his gut. Why does this matter to you? Rachel shook her head, letting her spoon clatter and splash into her cereal bowl. I've put my acting work on hold to help you. Do you just want to keep me around whilst I'm useful, then dump me as soon as someone better comes along? Is that it? Rachel was close to tears now. I wouldn't. I won't do that to you, Graham said, though in his heart he didn't know if this was true. There was always that question with Rachel, that uncertainty, like he didn't really have a handle on her truest self. You could never really know anyone, but with Rachel, this seemed even more the case. She was a great help to him, fun to have around, and the sex was strange but incredible. But did he love her? No, he was sure of that. Graham had never loved a woman in his life. Maybe he never would. But if love was something one was sure of when it was really there, then Graham knew he didn't love and would never love Rachel. Do you love me? Rachel asked suddenly. Had she read his mind somehow? Yes, of course I do, Graham lied. The lie spilled out of his mouth so fast it sounded truly sincere. The sex that followed was the best in his entire life. In the weeks that followed, Rachel appeared alongside him on every talk and chat show. Graham gave up seeking medical help, since there wasn't a single logical explanation as to why he was shrinking. It only seemed logical that there was no cure either. That, and the smaller he became, the more invasive the rigorous tests felt, and there was only so much of that a man could handle in one lifetime. Graham thought he could no longer be wowed by money offers, that is, until a private medical institute offered him $200 million for the rights to his body after his death, whenever that might be. On the proviso, he didn't vanish into nothingness, and, to sweeten the deal, Graham would receive $50 million up front as a signing bonus. Graham signed on the dotted line. Graham was four foot five inches tall when he returned to his bar as part of a documentary shoot. This was a rare occasion where Rachel wasn't with him. She was busy finalising the purchase of a mansion home in the spacious hills where the elites of society lived in gated communities. During the filming of the bar area, Graham spotted Toby sat in a booth at the far back, 
Graham excused himself from the crew. Hey, Toby said on Graham's approach. Mind if I... Sure, yeah, have a seat. Graham climbed onto his seat. I've been watching you on TV, Toby said. You're really making this thing work for you. Got that beauty at your hip. Yeah, Graham said. But you'd rather go back to 6-7, right? Toby said. In a heartbeat, Graham said. Graham saw a change in Toby's demeanour. Can I ask you a favour? Toby said. Graham gave a small nod. I'm pretty broke, man, Toby said. I'm living in my car. I use my gym membership to take showers. I've got nothing going for me. Is there anything I can do for you? I'm not asking for charity. I just need some paid work. No problem, Graham said. Once I'm settled in my new place, why don't you come over and visit and we'll talk things over? Toby was delighted. Really, man? Thank you, brother. The crew urged Graham politely back. Graham exchanged numbers with Toby and went back to shooting the documentary. The gated mansion home was grotesquely lavish. However, Graham understood why celebrities bought homes like this. Privacy. The press, though well-fed on a steady diet of his time and public appearances, were dogged in their attempts to catch him doing mundane things unawares. Rachel gave a one-woman tour of their new home, leading Graham from one immaculate room to another. The kitchen and bathrooms and even the stairs were specially fitted with rails and platforms to accommodate Graham's increasingly diminishing height. Two weeks later, whilst Rachel was out running errands, Graham, now four foot five, answered the gate buzzer using the intercom in the kitchen. Toby was at the gate. Graham let him in. Holy motherfucker, Toby said as they walked through the mansion to the huge back garden. We need a gardener, Graham said. Do you have any experience with that? Not a clue, my friend, Toby said. But I'll give it a shot. Toby got to work. It didn't seem to Graham as anything more complicated than mowing the lawn and cleaning out the pool. After a few hours of this, Graham arranged a fair payment with Toby. They agreed to exchange cash, since Toby had a troubled history over filing his taxes. Toby kept to his duties twice weekly without issue. Most of the time he came and went without Graham realising he was even there. The shrinking escalated even further over the following two months. It made for exciting viewing for audiences across the world. A two-feet-tall Graham had shrunk in full proportion. He was so small the top of his head barely reached above Rachel's knees. Have you thought about making a will? Rachel said over dinner one evening. This was quite something, since Rachel would often avoid this kind of talk like the plague. Sure, Graham said. I'll call my lawyer tomorrow. No need, Rachel said. Like some magic trick, Rachel placed a thick stack of crisp papers stapled together onto the kitchen table. Graham felt an immediate unspoken tension between him and Rachel. So she must have gone to their lawyer, or some other lawyer, perhaps even multiple lawyers over many hours and days over the past few weeks, in order to have a complete finalised will written up. And she did all that without even mentioning it. Graham read through the will. Every line made him wince. Rachel wanted everything left to her, including the $200 million when he kicked the bucket. 
I can't sign this, Graham said. Why? Isn't this what was going to happen anyway? Rachel said. Maybe. I don't know, Graham said. I know. I've just made everything simple. All you have to do is sign the will. It will give me more power of attorney. This way I can look after you and know we'll both be looked after once you're gone. Once I'm gone, Graham said, the shrinking could stop. I know. I hope it will too. But if it doesn't... Rachel rose from her seat and put her comparatively huge hands on Graham's shoulders. She massaged him, the weight and solidness of her grip an unspoken threat. I'm not signing this, Graham said, his voice breaking a little. Rachel's lips were close to his right ear now. The weight pressing down from her hands hurt and was becoming heavier by the second. Don't you love me? she whispered. Graham thought about lying again, but there was something in the way she asked the question that told him she already knew the answer. No, Graham said. The next thing Graham knew, he was on the floor. Rachel had flung him there. Graham tried getting to his feet, and then he felt Rachel's foot strike his waist with enough force to send him sliding across the kitchen floor. His head struck the wall with a hard thud. When Graham came to his senses a few moments later, he checked the back of his head for blood. It felt swollen and bruised, but there was no blood. I can't believe you're doing this to me, Rachel screamed. Graham cringed, his hands covering his head as he brought his knees up to his chest. Another kick from Rachel like that could break bones. If she had struck his ribcage or his head, he'd be killed. Graham felt an instinctual want to call for help. But who would hear it? Nobody. They were perfectly isolated and out of view and earshot, even to their closest neighbours. Graham climbed to his feet. Rachel towered over him. Just sign the fucking will, Rachel said, her usually neat hair now unkempt. Graham shook his head in refusal. He then moved to the kitchen doorway, but Rachel's leg blocked the way. Rachel, Graham said shakily, think about what you're doing. You're a fucking liar, Rachel screamed. Her knee connected with Graham's chest, sending him staggering back and against one of the kitchen table legs. There was an aching pain in his chest and a more immediate stabbing pain up his backside and spine. Before Graham had the sense to make his next move, Rachel picked him up. She'd never done this the entire time they'd known each other. Even during sex, picking him up was a major line in the sand Graham wouldn't budge on. The speed with which she raced up the mansion stairs, cradling him in her arms, frightened him worse than any roller coaster he'd ever ridden. She brought him to the upstairs bedroom. Graham anticipated being placed down on the bed, but instead Rachel carried him into the adjacent bathroom. She placed him in the bath with more gentleness than he expected. Stay there, she ordered and thundered back out of the bathroom. At this point, Graham was still optimistic that he could calm Rachel down and make her see sense. As he sat in the bath nursing the pain in his waist, Rachel slammed the bathroom door. He could hear her talking to herself as she rushed from one room to another. There were several instances of zippers being used and plastic clattering. Graham climbed out of the bath and tried opening the bathroom door. 
There were blue plastic stools in most rooms to aid him in opening the doors on the rare occasions they were closed. This bathroom was one of the exceptions in the mansion to not have a stool. Without it, he would have to jump for the handle and swing on it to open the door. And what then? Rachel was in the next room. She was bigger and faster. Graham seriously considered attempting a great escape, but the pain in his hip and back warned him that failure could mean a kick to the head or body that could end in tragedy. Two hours passed. Rachel returned to the bathroom with a tray of food and a soft drink can. She left it on the bathroom floor. You can come out when you're ready to sign the will, she said. She slammed the door. Graham heard her climb onto the bed. Shortly after, the sound of one of her favourite sitcoms played at a high volume, the laugh track echoing throughout the mansion. When he tried to reason with her through the door, Rachel turned the volume up to drown him out. What Graham thought would be an evening drama persisted for three days and nights with no end in sight. He'd become a prisoner in his own bathroom. The shrinking escalated. Overnight, he shrunk from two feet tall to a single pitiful foot tall. During these three days, Graham often heard Rachel on the phone with the media company producers, who wanted to know why their shrinking star wasn't honouring his contract. Rachel lied with eerie coolness citing depression Graham didn't have as the cause of his absence. Graham realised his newfound fame and contacts were so new there wasn't anyone with enough genuine care to check up on him. Graham considered signing the will. He didn't care about the money. Rachel could have all of it when he was gone. He'd given up hope of finding a cure, though he couldn't bring himself to openly admit that he'd given up. But on a purely pragmatic basis he would be signing his own death sentence by signing that will. All Rachel would have to do is step on him, and after that, cry accident. By the fourth evening, the calls Graham overheard between Rachel and the media companies were becoming increasingly tense. Given the rate and escalation in Graham's shrinking, most predictions assumed he would vanish beyond view within the next week. By the start of the fifth day, Graham had shrunk to a mere half-foot tall. His clothes no longer fit, so he resorted to wearing a washing-up flannel like a towel around his waist. On the fifth day, at nine in the morning, as had become the routine, Rachel opened the bathroom door. This time, instead of putting down a new tray of food, she stood by the doorway looking down at him. Look at you, she said in a voice hoarse from talking and crying. She picked him up with one hand. Graham thought he might be sick as the bathroom raced by him in a frightening blur before Rachel's comparatively giant face was level with his own. She was a mess. Her makeup, particularly her mascara, was dried and flaking, except for where her frequent tears kept the makeup moist. With him in her grip, like some kind of King Kong, Rachel climbed onto the bed and then placed him onto the adjacent tray. There were just the crumbs of cheese and crackers there to be eaten. Graham was too hungry to care that they were a bit stale or that they were Rachel's leftovers. Rachel sat in bed watching the same sitcom she'd been binging whenever she wasn't crying or on the phone or in the kitchen fetching what scraps of food were left since she hadn't left the mansion to go shopping. I never meant for things to get out of hand like this, Rachel said, sniffling. 
fresh tears streaked down her cheeks. Then stop this, Graham said. I can go to jail for imprisoning you. I'm not that stupid, Rachel said. She burst into tears. Then in pathetic weeping wails, she said, All I ever wanted was to be noticed. I just wanted to be I, I loved. If not that, then it, at least to have, have some security. What about your acting career? Graham said. What acting career? Rachel cried. I'm 31 years old. The only roles I can get are strippers and drug addicts. My life wasn't supposed to be like this. She weeped even harder into her hands, the tears dripping between her fingers. You asked me if I loved you. Do you even love me? Graham asked. Rachel shook her head. No. At first, I liked you because you were tall. And then I was going to break up with you before I realized I could use you to further my career. Come on. Stop this, Rachel, Graham said. It's not like I have long left anyway. Rachel used the expensive bedsheet to wipe her eyes dry. She rose up out of bed and picked Graham up in the same motion. Graham held on to Rachel's hand and kept his focus on her face to stop the worst of the disorientation he felt. Although she was moving slowly, to Graham it was as if she were hurtling down the stairs at breakneck speed. The kitchen felt different to how Graham remembered it. To him, it felt as if everything were bigger and somehow he was still a regular size. This immediate impression wouldn't go away no matter how much his logical sense told him otherwise. The will was still on the table with an expensive-looking pen beside it. Rachel set Graham down and pulled up a chair for herself. You have five seconds to sign your name, she said. I'm going to step on you either way, so just do this one good thing before you go. Rachel, don't be ridiculous. One, Rachel, two, three. Graham had no intention of signing the will. On principle, he couldn't. He wouldn't. Four. Five. With a sigh, Rachel grabbed Graham from the table and placed him on the floor. Rachel, no! Graham cried. But her foot was already bearing down on him. The weight wasn't anything he had any hope of resisting with his own strength. The air left his lungs and his chest felt ready to crumple. He could hardly breathe, let alone think of a way to stop this. The pressure built and built. The absurdity of everything that happened raced into Graham's mind then. In that moment, he saw things with razor-sharp clarity. What an idiot he'd been. Above all, he felt regret. Regret for his entire life. The whole pointless transience of it. Life was the most precious gift of all, and what had he done with it? owned a bar and slept with women who only wanted him because he was tall. He had chosen the easy option every step of the way, and that hadn't stopped even after he began to shrink. Big or small, he was still the same man. Still the same man with so little to him, of so little worth, that he was sure the world wouldn't miss him when he was gone. There was more to this thought, more truths in the euphoria, but now his head was being crushed, he wouldn't have time to reach the end of it. 
there was a sudden distant tapping sound from far away. Rachel had no actual intention of killing Graham. She was merely punishing him for lying to her, for saying he loved her when he didn't. She didn't love him either, but the bastard had still lied. Rachel was barely applying any pressure at all with her foot, yet she was sure it was enough to have Graham saying his final prayers. She grinned without any real joy. Rachel hadn't noticed the initial wave of tapping, but she heard the second round. Toby was looking into the kitchen from the window that gave a view of the garden. Rachel froze. Then she took her foot off Graham, stood up, and opened the door to let Toby in. What the fuck is going on here? Toby said. Rachel sank to the kitchen floor and sobbed like a child. Toby saw the will on the kitchen table, and Graham sprawled on his chest on the kitchen floor in nothing but a flannel. Toby scooped Graham up and took him upstairs to get changed into a miniature set of clothes that had been specially made for Graham if and when he reached his current size. Then, with Graham's help, Toby took Graham's travel bag, his phone, and his wallet. Rachel had stopped weeping but was still sat on the kitchen floor as Toby left the mansion with Graham. They drove to an expensive hotel in town and booked themselves in. There were paparazzi about, but Toby managed to avoid the worst of them. When they were settled into their suite, Toby and Graham ordered room service. Graham ate until he couldn't eat another bite. Are you going to call the police? Toby asked. He had one bed, Graham had the other. No, Graham said. He'd given it a lot of thought already. Maybe it was because he felt sorry for Rachel. Or because they had lied to each other often enough to both be responsible for how things spiralled out of control. I was right, eh? Toby said. The smaller you are, the crueler people become. In the weeks that followed, the world watched the live measuring of Graham's height on TV. However, his shrinking stopped at half a foot tall. Although there was always offers for more television appearances and deals from media companies, the true frenzy over Graham's height, ironically, diminished. In the year that followed, Graham gradually grew in height, as if an invisible reverse switch had been pulled. This excited the media companies enough to continue a compartmentalised version of the weekly measuring broadcasts, but it seemed the world was more interested in shrinking than growing. Toby, who had replaced Rachel as Graham's assistant, said, Now if you keep growing after six foot seven... Then the frenzy'll start all over again. After 18 months since he began to grow in height, after his lengthy period of shrinking, Graham finally returned to his full six foot seven inches of height. And to his relief, the growth stopped there. During all this time of physical growth, Graham realised just how empty his life had been even before he began to shrink. The euphoric moment he had under Rachel's heel had stuck with him, though it took a while for him to even think back on that horrid moment without wincing. Graham realised he wanted to pursue something meaningful with his life. Perhaps a family someday soon. The notion of being a husband and a father was daunting, yet the notion of continuing to coast through life seemed an even worse proposition. He knew that he had to be brutally honest with himself from now on, and to make active choices in his life. 
The first decisive choice Graham made was to meet with Rachel to clear the air between them. They met in the cafe they had gone to the morning after they first had sex. It was the first time either of them had spoken in person since the madness at the mansion, which Graham sold several months later. I'm happy for you, Rachel said. I really mean it. I was... I'm so sorry about what I did. It's in the past, Graham said. I want you to have this. He slid an envelope across the table. Rachel opened it. It was a cheque for five million dollars. Rachel slid the envelope back. Thank you, she said. But I don't want your money. This seemed odd to Graham. Then Rachel said, I've met someone. He's the love of my life. Graham had noticed the uncertain look in Rachel's eyes that had always been there, was gone. He'd noticed how certain of herself Rachel seemed, even as they awkwardly hugged and sat in the cafe booth. His heart swelled with happiness for her. No hard feelings, Rachel said, offering Graham her hand to shake. Graham shook her hand. They made some small talk, then, with underwhelming fanfare, Rachel left. Graham waited until she was out of sight before he sighed with relief. Three days later, Rachel woke in bed beside the man she loved with all her heart. His name was Daniel, and he was a nature photographer, as well as an all-round thrill-seeker. They had met when Rachel took an impromptu vacation to get away and clear her head, just at the time when the last thing she wanted was to get tangled into another relationship. But they had hit it off so well, so perfectly, that for Rachel, and for Daniel, it had been love at first sight, just like in the movie. Rachel lay in bed looking at Daniel, then to the engagement ring he had given her last night when he proposed. Rachel was taken out of her joyful reverie by the need to pee. She slid out of bed and padded over to the bathroom. She felt strange, however. She wasn't sure what it was exactly. It was like remembering a face but forgetting the name. Rachel noticed the ring on her ring finger felt a little tight, almost painfully so. The ring had slipped perfectly onto her finger last night. Hadn't it? The end.